Good Thursday. This is Ozarks at Large for March 16th, 2023. I'm Timothy Dennis. I'm Kyle Kellams. This is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Later this hour, we'll have the latest rundown of some of the live music we can experience for the next seven days. And later, remembering local artist Hank Kaminsky. First, 42 states, the District of Columbia and Guam, have all made it possible to register to vote online. Arkansas is not one of those 42 states. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore shares with us why Missouri is and what it will take to bring online registration to the natural state. In 2014, then-Secretary of State in Missouri, Jason Kander, instituted online voter registration. The Deputy Secretary of State was Abe Rakoff, who Kander credits as the real architect behind making it happen. It started just as an idea in the office from Secretary Kander and myself and a few others that we should make the registration process as accessible as possible to the people of Missouri. Uh, There's no reason to create a barrier to voting for eligible voters. What they thought was a pretty simple idea was a bit more complicated than they had anticipated. When you're trying to do an online system, there are a lot of parts of state and county and municipal government that need to be able to interact to do it the best possible way. When you hear people who work in the world of elections say all elections are local, they mean that literally. Rakoff says essentially what they did was put the voter registration form online for Missouri voters. We did not for a little while even call it online voter registration. What we did was we put the form online in a fillable form. Eligible voters in Missouri would then fill out all the information and sign it electronically. After the voter completed the form, a PDF version was sent to the Secretary of State's office. Who hadn't handled voter registration before and and couldn't actually register voters. But what we can do is then take those voter registration cards and send them to the local election authority from the county that the person who registered did it. It was self-admittedly complicated and put more work on the Secretary of State's office, Rakoff says. But it's something you are committed to and wanting to do it, and thousands and thousands of people used it. The current Secretary of State in Missouri is Jay Ashcroft, who says online voter registration has its pros and cons. When we first implemented it, we had people that were trying to to sign their signature on uh, their computer with a mouse or with their smartphones or their tablets. And we were ending up with signatures because of the programming and the software that would be uh, maybe half an inch wide in total and less than that in height. So we had a real problem with actually getting signatures that were usable at first. But uh, we've worked through that. Secretary Ashcroft says that while there are third-party websites who do work to help people register to vote online, the safest and most secure way to do that now in Missouri is by going to the Secretary of State's website directly. So you know that the data is first and foremost going to get you registered instead of getting you on the line for someone to sell you aluminum siding. So online voter registration is happening in Missouri. Why not in Arkansas? Well, it almost did. In 2021, House Bill 1517 was sponsored by Senator Breanne Davis alongside then-Representative Justin Boyd, who now serves in the Arkansas Senate. HB 1517 would have created the Voter Integrity and Voter Registration Modernization Act of 2021. The bill passed through the House, receiving 95 votes in favor of it. 
Here's Senator Davis talking about it from the Senate floor in 2021. This bill allows online voter registration under very narrow specific circumstances. It only allows it if you've done business with the DMV. So if you're filling out a form online and you've not done business with the DMV, it stops you, you cannot proceed. If you are filling out the form and begin to fill it out incorrectly, it also stops you and you cannot proceed. You could not submit an incorrect voter registration application under this bill. Senator Davis said the bill would have made the work of county clerks more efficient, provided some relief on workers at the DMV who already do a lot of work and may make an occasional error on a form. Senator Davis also said that with this bill, there would be a 30-day period to confirm address verification, just like paper voter registration. Senator Davis again in 2021. So members, despite the messages you've been receiving, the texts, the emails, the phone calls of people telling you completely false and inaccurate information about this bill, I want you to know that that information is being pushed out by a single special interest group who is not known for presenting policy in a truthful manner. The bill needed 24 votes in the Senate to pass, and it fell six votes short. I asked Senator Davis earlier this week why she thought her bill didn't pass, and she says for a few different reasons, one being that timing is so much of politics. Once it sailed so easily through the House, that's whenever the opposition groups really started firing up. And I think just in light of the 2020 election and the false narrative around the online registration bill, um, I think that tied into it. And then some of those groups um, working against it in a, in a pretty heavy way, it brought us to 18 votes, I, I believe, but not the 24 votes that we needed. So here we are in 2023 with House Bill 1537, the Voter Integrity and Voter Registration Modernization Act of 2023. Does that title sound familiar? According to its sponsor, Representative Andrew Collins, it's essentially a mirror image of the 2021 version. We wanted to make it as close to that bill as possible. That bill got 95 votes in the House. Uh, It went through extensive revisions um, and integrated a lot of feedback from different stakeholders. And I think it was a really good bill. When you look at the two bills side by side, there's really just one difference in the bill. What was in the 2021 version that is missing from the 2023 bill is around cleaning up the voter rolls. House Bill 1407 has been filed by Representative Rick McClure regarding these issues. So Representative Collins elected to remove that language altogether from the online voter registration bill. The main concerns that have been voiced on this bill revolve around security, but Representative Collins says he thinks this is a positive step for security. Currently, you have to use a paper form, which is susceptible to handwriting that may be sloppy, forms being left incomplete. Those problems are actually alleviated when you get to electronic voter registration. With the online form, it must be completed correctly or it won't be accepted. The other thing is, in this bill, the, uh, an electronic signature has to be provided with the application, and it has to be matched to the signature that's on file 
with the Department of Finance and Administration. In a House, state agencies, and governmental affairs committee meeting on March 2nd, Josh Bridges, who is an election system analyst for the Secretary of State's office, says that their office is neutral on the bill, but... Our current voter registration vendor does have an online voter registration solution that could potentially uh, satisfy the requirements laid out in this legislation. I personally have not seen that, um, that product, uh, but we are making our vendor aware of this, this legislation uh, in case this does pass. Representative Collins says he thinks this bill will have some bipartisan support. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to play out. You know, Representative Boyd's bill, which contained all of the same language that we have, uh, got 95 votes in the House. It did get bogged down in the Senate, so I think some of that will have to be confronted this time as well. Some of the uh, skepticism and some of the lack of accurate information about what we're trying to do, but that's the process that we're engaged in now, is, is convincing people that this is not only going to be secure, but it will actually help our security and will certainly be more convenient and uh, accessible for voters. Senator Davis says she's not sure what the vote will look like for this bill this session. I imagine it'd be more calm this time, just because the 2020 election is, you know, farther behind this. So it may be an easier lift than it was in 2021. Do you plan on supporting this bill? Yes, I do. On March 2nd, House Bill 1537 was tabled in committee until a fiscal impact report could be assessed. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Matthew Moore. Still to come today, Leah Uribe expands our musical horizons with Sound Perimeter, a checklist of live music for the next week, and remembering Hank Kaminsky. That's ahead on this edition of Ozarks at Large. Support for KUAF comes from Little Wing Productions, welcoming singer Melissa Etheridge to the auditorium in Eureka Springs Friday, May 5th at 7.30 p.m. Reserve seats go on sale this Friday at tickets.thundertix.com. It's official. The Ebbing Air National Guard Base in Fort Smith will be the site for the new home of the Foreign Military Sales Program Pilot Training Center. Program means F-16 and F-35 training will take place at the base, which will become the new location for the 425th Fighter Squadron, a Republic of Singapore F-16 Falcon training unit. About 900 military members and their families will move to the Fort Smith Metro. The formal announcement comes after five different locations had originally sought the program. Fort Smith was declared the preferred location in the summer of 2021. Fort Smith Mayor George McGill says the city is ready and willing to welcome the military members and their families. A bill to regulate libraries passed a final vote in the Arkansas House yesterday. Josie Lenora with our partner station KUAR in Little Rock has the details. Senate Bill 81 will create an identical book challenge policy for all libraries, which can be appealed up to city and county courts. The bill would criminalize librarians who furnish books deemed to be obscene. Republican Representative Justin Gonzalez presented the bill. It's not going to send all your librarians to prison, and it's not going to ban any books. It does create the offense of of providing harmful material to minors um, and deals with obscene materials provided to minors. Many Republican lawmakers said they had found inappropriate books in their libraries that they wanted to keep out of the hands of children. Others said they wanted to prevent obscene materials from showing up in the future. Republican Representative Deanne Vaught was the only lawmaker to speak against the bill. 
She said she is against dictating what children are allowed to read and that the bill was too vague. I am not sure how many of you are familiar with Song of Solomon and Ezekiel in the Bible, but each of these books in the Bible have a very graphic and descriptive sex scene. And that if they were in any other book, I think it would be challenged. The bill passed on a vote of 56 to 25, with eight lawmakers voting present. It's the bill's final hurdle before being sent back to the Senate, then to Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders for a signature. In Little Rock, I'm Josie Lenora. A bill to deregulate municipal and county short-term rental ordinances in Arkansas remains stalled in the House Committee, which met yesterday for almost six hours. The Arkansas House, City, County, and Local Affairs Committee met for a third time to consider Senate Bill 197 that would prohibit all restrictions and regulations of short-term rentals in Arkansas. The bill, approved by the Senate last month, was amended to include a clause only requiring all short-term rental operators in Arkansas to register for no-fee permits. Co-sponsor Representative Britt McKenzie, a Republican from Rogers, defended the bill. I argue that when local control is attempting to subdue a constitutional right, We have a duty to debate this control and determine if this is the will of our state. Per our Constitution, the General Assembly provides for general laws for the organization of cities and incorporated towns. These entities, granted to operate via state oversight, should not require its citizens within its borders to abandon their constitutional right to private property. The bill would nullify all municipal and county ordinances as well as property zoning pertaining to short-term rental control. That would free anyone or any business entity to purchase any property anywhere in Arkansas to convert it into a short-term rental. David Avanzino, a Eureka Springs council member and business owner, testified against the bill. My tourism-based small business has about 34 employees. Many service industry workers make a living working in Eureka Springs at the various hotels, restaurants, and shops. However, they are unable to, fi- unable to find housing in the area due to the alarming saturation of Airbnbs, VRBOs, Vacasas, etc. According to Airbnb's very own website, there are currently 1,312 active properties available for short-term nightly rentals in our zip code. And VRBO has listed 699 properties. This is a total of 2,011 short-term nightly rental properties available for rent. After a recess, the committee met late yesterday to hear more testimony, but deferred a vote on the bill until later this month. The Arkansas Department of Education is looking for six volunteers to help draft the rules of the newly signed LEARNS Act. Education Secretary Jacob Oliva said in a Tuesday memo the volunteers will be part of a working group that will assist in providing feedback to the department in developing rules. The six groups will cover a variety of topics from school safety to career readiness. Oliva said that participants will meet both face-to-face and virtually over the next few months. Interested volunteers can apply with the resume at the link found on the department's Facebook page. Yesterday afternoon at 2.22, a crowd gathered high on Mount Sequoia around an old belfry, taking turns ringing the bell in observance of the center's 100th anniversary. Bells also tolled downtown at First Christian Church, St. Paul's Episcopal, Central United Methodist, St. Catherine's at Bell Gable, and United First Presbyterian to celebrate the historic 400-acre retreat and conference center. Located on East Mountain, Mount Sequoia was donated by the city of Fayetteville in 1922 to the Arkansas Methodist Assembly for use as a religious retreat, which opened a year later and for decades to follow.
Today, Mount Sequoia operates as a nonprofit cultural community event center, also offering lodging, dining, meeting, and studio rental facilities, a swimming pool, tennis and pickleball courts, and hiking trails. The ringing of the bells is part of a year-long celebration that will continue through this summer and fall. A Smithsonian Institution exhibit dedicated to democracy and voting will tour the state later this year, including a stop at John Brown University in Siloam Springs. The Arkansas Humanities Council, an affiliate of the National Endowment of the Humanities, is helping bring voices and votes, democracy in America, to six Arkansas cities between next month and early next year. The exhibition will be at JBU from September 8th through October 20th. Voices and Votes explores democracy as America's greatest experiment through the eyes of various generations and springboards, further discussions about the meaning and importance of democracy. The exhibition will include historical and contemporary photos, historical artifacts like campaign and voter memorabilia, and protest material. The Razorback baseball team is now 15-2 after yesterday's 5-2 win over UNLV. Arkansas hosts Auburn for three games beginning tomorrow night. And the next game for the University of Arkansas Fort Smith baseball team is tomorrow night at Texas A&M Kingsville. UAFS now 6-16 overall this year, 4-16 in Lone Star Conference play. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. I'm Paul Gatling. Home sales declined by double digits in the second half of 2022 in Northwest Arkansas, while inventory rose by triple digits. Those numbers were included in the latest Skyline reports for residential and multifamily real estate in Benton and Washington counties. The reports were released Tuesday by Arvest Bank with research conducted by the Center for Business and Economic Research at the University of Arkansas. Home sales in the two-county area fell by almost 21% to 4,774 in the second half of last year. Over that same period, home inventory increased by 177% to 1,618. In the multifamily market, the overall vacancy rate fell to 1.6% from 2.3%. The decline was attributed to Fayetteville's vacancy rate falling to 1% from 3.5%. The Fayetteville market comprises about 48% of all apartment units in northwest Arkansas. Other cities had slight increases in vacancy rates. You can find that story with links to both of those reports on our website at nwabusinessjournal.com. We've got more news after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com. First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. Janet Harris is the executive director and CEO of the nonprofit Winthrop Rockefeller Institute. 
which sits atop Pettyjean Mountain near Moralton, and is named, of course, for the man who was Arkansas's governor from 1967 to 1971. In a recent interview with Roby Brock, Harris spoke about the former governor's legacy of empowering women and people of color, the nonprofit's interest in civil public discourse, and an upcoming lecture series. Now, the Rockefeller legacy today is extensive in many different areas. Um, I want to focus today on civil public dialogue as something that you and I talk about um, as friends quite mm -hmm. a bit. Yeah. Um, we see a sometimes rare occurrence in the Arkansas legislature of some civil discourse, sometimes even on this show, but we also see a lot of in our politics on social media, a lot of pot shots. Uh, we see a lot of people that seem to thrive on yelling at each other versus talking to yeah. one another. How do we foster a stronger mm -hmm. civic public dialogue? Hmm. It's hard, uh, but yet it's necessary. And part of what we do at the Institute is encourage people to connect with one another. It all starts with relationships. Um, so if you aren't able to really talk with someone, connect with someone, understand what motivates them, what they're afraid of, what they're concerned about, and vice versa, uh, then you're not really getting to the heart of the matter. You're not really discussing the issue in a way that's meaningful. And so a lot of what we do at the Institute is encourage that meaningful dialogue before we ever start examining an issue. That, and that's what Governor Rockefeller did. And that's what Governor Rockefeller did. And um, yes, absolutely. Give me an example of something where he kind of did that. I mean, it, it, in civil rights, I think, is a great example. And civil rights is a great example. Um, he talks about, you know, uh, he wrote a book called A Letter to My Son in which he talked about his experiences um, throughout his life and the things that shaped him. And one of the things that he said is that the understanding of men and women is one of the greatest joys that you'll ever know, but that in order to do that, you know, you have to be willing to get to know them. You have to be willing to sort of, um, you know, make that connection and, and work together. He said every citizen has a duty to be informed, to be thoughtfully concerned, and to participate in the search for solutions. But we have to do that together because no one of us can achieve what we want to achieve on our own. One of the other great things about his legacy is that he did embrace and intentionally go out and uh, develop relationships and reward people, people of color, women in leadership, yes, such as yeah. your uh, Marion Stevenson uh, story that you told earlier there. Um, where do you think that legacy stands today? There's a lot of attacks mm -hmm. on, say, affirmative action at the state legislature. There's a lot of attacks on people feeling like we've gone too far in one direction. Yeah. I think that um, it would be hard for Winthrop Rockefeller to recognize the world that we're living in today. He passed, uh, actually this year is the anniversary, 50th anniversary of his passing. And so, you know, I, I, there are a lot of ways in which maybe we have taken a few steps backward um, in thinking about how we uh, foster equality, how we um, continue to in be inclusive and work with people even across our differences. Um, and so I, you know, what we're trying to do at the Institute is to find those areas where we can have common ground. And frankly, you know, there's a lot of that to be had. I mean, um, across the political spectrum, yes, you have people who are very staunchly conservative, very staunchly liberal. You have a lot of people who are also somewhere along that long spectrum in the middle and that just want to have an 
an opportunity and need to have an opportunity to have their voice at the table and to figure out how we move forward together. So I think that's the key is it's not fighting each other on social media. It's not taking the pot shots, as you say, but it's asking ourselves, what do we share? What is our shared purpose? What do we care about? And how can we find that common ground to move forward together? And I think that's possible. I really do. I've seen it happen at the Institute. Well, I've seen it happen in the state legislature, too. Just last week, we had uh, uh, Representative Robin Lundstrom mm -hmm. and Senator Clark Tucker on. You couldn't find two more diametrically <laughs> opposed political yeah. viewpoints. But they're actually co-sponsors on some legislation together. Yeah. And so when you... When you find that, I try to highlight that because I do Absolutely. think that it's important. Because it's yeah. not just that sweet spot in the middle that's looking for something that's temperamental or temper, temperate and balanced. I think it's even on the edges, there's still a lot in common, even if on the extremes. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I think a great example of Governor Rockefeller embodying all of that is his work with Governor Orville Faubus. You talk about two extremes. Yeah. They, uh, they really disagreed on very many things, but Winthrop, Rock Winthrop Rockefeller said, I hope I can never uh, fail to work with someone with whom I disagree. And he was talking about Faubus in that way, and that he was talking specifically about um, economic development yep. and how they could partner and work together on those and things. They, they had some and success. they did. All right, uh, we got about 60 seconds left. You got an upcoming Distinguished Lecture Series. Yes. It's around the state as well as up on the mountain. Tell it's me what you It's going got. to be broadcast with our partners on Arkansas PBS, but um, if you want to join us on the mountain, registration closes tomorrow, Monday, yeah. uh, March the 13th. It's a lecture on water. Dr. Peter McCormick of the uh, Doherty Water for Food Global Institute will be talking about how we feed the world and still conserve our water resources. How, why is water so important? I know why, but I want you to tell me why. <laughs> well, water's important. Arkansas is a water-rich state. However, climate change um, and the growing population in the world means that we, who feed the world, are going to have to figure out how we do a better job across the country, but especially here in conserving those precious resources. And that is Janet Harris, and she is the executive director and CEO of the Winthrop Rockefeller Institute. If you liked that interview, you can find it and others over on our sister website at talkbusiness.net. In other news this week, Tyson Foods says it will close two chicken plants in May, and that will result in nearly 1,700 layoffs. One plant is in Virginia, and the other is in Van Buren, where the company has operated a chicken processing plant since 1975. Roughly 970 workers will be laid off there. Mark Power, the University of Arkansas's top fundraiser since 2017, is resigning as vice chancellor for university advancement, effective April 16th. Power says he is remaining on the Fayetteville campus as a senior advisor. Scott Verity, a U of A alum and a longtime senior administrator, will succeed Power as vice chancellor. Verity has been executive director and general counsel for the Razorback Foundation since 2015. And Northwest Arkansas's mortgage activity dropped nearly 25% in the fourth quarter last year. It is the region's ninth consecutive quarterly drop since the third quarter of 2020. You can find all of those stories and more on our website at nwabusinessjournal.com, where you can follow our reporting each and every day. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is Ozarks at Large. I am with Timothy Dennis inside the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio. 
Timothy, I'm trying to do some quick calculations. Uh-huh. Is this the last weekend of official winter? Uh, Today is the se- Yes, it is. It is. Well, hot damn. I'm I'm happy about that. I am well, I am too. Bring on the vernal equinox. Is that it? Just bring on war- warmer weather. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. So we've got music to talk about. Oh, yeah. That's why we gather on It Thursday. is Thursday, yes. after all. Well, let's start with tonight, actually. Meteor Guitar Gallery is going to have a Songwriters in the Round featuring several local songwriters, obviously. And that's tonight. That's tonight. They're going to feature Samantha Hunt, Lacey Hampton, and then Candy Lee and Emily Rowland of the band Melody Pond. I got a bird feeder in my yard. I keep it filled up with seed It attracts all the finches and chickadees Cause I want beautiful things Cover is $15. It gets underway at 6.30 this evening, but it goes until 8.30. Uh, Again, that's at Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville. Happening a little bit later this evening, George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have a contemporary country show featuring Wyatt McCubbin and Cameron Marlowe. You ain't gonna stay so if you do, I'm gonna let you in for me again. I can take it and not break my heart. Coming for that's $25. Gets underway at 8 o'clock this evening again. That's at George's in Fayetteville. Moving on to tomorrow night, still at George's. Their happy hour show tomorrow night is going to feature Brick Fields. Big. I'm a big fan, as you know. Cover is $8. That gets underway at 6 o'clock tomorrow night, again at George's in Fayetteville. Late show at George's tomorrow night is going to be a rock and roll affair featuring the bands Green Acres and the Cole Birmingham Band. Cover for that show is $10. That gets underway at 9 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville. All right. Happening elsewhere in Fayetteville tomorrow night, Nomad's Trailside in Midtown Fayetteville is going to have their St. Patrick's Day party featuring music from the bands Fight Dream, Milden Hall, Bo Yellis, and Townhouse Fire. And that's right. Tomorrow, or yeah, tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day. Cover for that show is $5. That gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at Nomad's Trailside in Midtown Fayetteville. Happening up in Bentonville tomorrow night, Meteor Guitar Gallery is having their own St. Patrick's Day party featuring rock and blues music courtesy of the Handshake Saints and the Downtown Livewires. Mm-hmm. Tickets start at $17. That gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, at Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville. Also in Bentonville, Bike Rack Brewing Company is starting their patio concert series for the season. Here we go. Here it's we go. a little bit early for my taste, but, you know, it's time. It's I appreciate time. the spirit. I do, too. Uh, they are featuring Southern Missouri artist Junior Soapbox, who performs a variety of styles from singer-songwriter to indie rock to rap. It's underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at Bycrack Brewing Company in Bentonville. 
Over in Eureka Springs, the Gravel Bar is going to have Springfield-based songwriter Brian Copeland in the house. That show gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs. Got a whole brewing in Eureka Springs tomorrow night. Is going to have the band March to August on stage. You may formally. know them formally as Route 358. And I imagine we'd go dancing my bad rhythm and two left feet. I imagine one summer's evening. I just heard. I love following them on social media. They have a great social media. They really do. I will say that. That show gets underway at 6 o'clock tomorrow night, again at Got a Hole Brewing in Eureka Springs. And then down in Fort Smith, The Majestic is having their own contemporary country show, featuring the bands Joint Custody and Pecos in the Rooftops. Keep trying to Tickets are $20 in advance. They go up to $25 at the door. That gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night, again at the Majestic Fort Smith. Okay, moving on to Saturday night. George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville having an electronic dance and funk show featuring the band's deep sequence and recycled funk. Come up with the... is $15 in advance, goes up to $20 at the door. That'll get underway at 8.30 Saturday evening, again at George's in Fayetteville. In Salem Springs Saturday evening, the Parkhouse Kitchen is going to have their own St. Patrick's Day party, part of the 2023 Shamrock Festival in Siloam, and they're going to feature music from Red Oak Cruise. Hmm. That show gets underway at 7 o'clock Saturday night, again at the Parkhouse Kitchen in Salem Springs. Over in Eureka Springs Saturday night, Chelsea's is going to have Ponder the Albatross back in the house. If you're unfamiliar. I am. They're a punk and rock band fused with bluegrass from Colorado. I can't believe in reasoning foul. We don't know anyhow. I can't believe in conjuring sound like that description. Yeah. That's Saturday night. That's Saturday night. Gets underway at 9 o'clock again. That's at Chelsea's over in Eureka Springs. Also in Eureka Springs Saturday night, Got a Hold Brewing is going to have mid-Missouri songwriter Forrest McCurran on the stage. Fight yourself pound for pound. Take a pull when it comes around. You gotta answer when you hear the call. Cause it's too lame and heartache. Find a way to make it pay. That gets underway at 5 o'clock Saturday again at Got a Hold Brewing in Eureka Springs. Okay, Sunday. A couple of shows to be aware of. JJ's Live in Fable is going to have drive-by truckers in town. Me and my net was as fun as we could be. We were set to marry in October 33. I sat beside the court nurse, fine as she could be. That's crazy. Yeah, right. you you just rubbernecked yeah, whenever I, like, I said that. I, I remember seeing that uh, a few days ago, and it's like, that's really cool. Yeah. Tickets are $25 in advance. They go up to $30 on Sunday if they still exist. That gets underway at 7.30 Sunday night, again at JJ's Live in Fayetteville. And is next week is spring break, right? Correct. Okay. Also Sunday night, 
Chelsea's over in Eureka Springs continuing their St. Patrick's Day weekend celebrations with a set from Earl and them. Oh, fun. That has a $5 cover. That'll get underway at 5 o'clock Sunday afternoon at Chelsea's in Eureka Springs. So St. Patrick's Day is kind of like Halloween. Yeah. Like you can extend it for several days. Now. Yeah, or like Christmas or New Year's right. or what have you. Okay, one more show to let you know about. Tuesday, George's in Fayetteville is going to have Jackie Vinson on stage. She is a blues guitarist and singer from Austin. She's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I can't get away. Covers $15 in advance, goes up to $20 on Tuesday. That'll be at 8 o'clock Tuesday night at George's in Fayetteville. Thank you, Timothy. Thank you. Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Pentimeter. Living between worlds is an experience known to me as an immigrant. Negotiating between languages, cultures, embracing contradiction, creating new identities. We open Sound Pentimeter today with the beginning of Piano Trio by Indian-American composer Rina Ismail. Composer Rina Ismail grew up as a talented pianist in the United States and got her composition degrees from Juilliard and Yale. Her music moves between the worlds of Indian and Western classical music. I wish I could live in India and America at the same time, says Rina, the daughter of Indian immigrants who has become one of the most respected young composers in the United States. I wish they shared a border and I could build a little home right in between them. I know I can't do that in the physical world, but this is where I live every day in my music. Renee Smell's Piano Trio was written in 2019. Each movement of the piece includes a traditional raga or melodic framework for improvisation and composition. The first movement uses the raga megamon, which means clout in Sanskrit. Traditionally, in Indian classical music, this raga is mostly sung or played in the monsoon season. This movement is marked as ephemeral. I invite you to situate yourself between worlds, maybe above a cloud, and to allow this piece to take you in and out of time.
excerpt from the first movement of Piano Trio, a piece written by Indian-American composer Rina Ismail and performed by Vijay Gupta, violin, Peter Myers, cello, and Susanna Bartal, piano. Moving Between Worlds is something Indian tabla virtuoso, composer, percussionist, music producer, and film actor Zakir Hussein has done since his arrival to the United States in 1970 as the tabla player for Ravi Shankar. Zakir Hussein was born in India near Mumbai and started studying the tabla, a pair of twin hand drums used in traditional Indian music at the age of three with his father, also renowned musician Alan Raka. Zakir and his father are responsible for popularizing the art of tabla playing at international venues. Hussein's career is also marked with collaborations with Western music and musicians, including bluegrass, rock, jazz, Latin jazz, and people like John McLaughlin, George Harrison, Carlos Santana, Mickey Hart, Edgar Meyer, and Bella Fleck, among many others. We close on Perimeter today with an excerpt from Bahar from a 2010 NPR Tiny Desk feature Zakir Hussein in the tabla, Bella Fleck in the banjo, and Edgar Mayer in the double bass. Leah Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. Sound Perimeter is a segment dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. See you soon. Ozarks what the official announcement of a pilot training center relocating to Fort Smith might mean. Our weekly check-in with Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics and more tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF 91.3 FM and always available anytime, anywhere at KUAF.com. KUAF is supported by Little Wing Productions presenting the Eureka Springs Blues Rock and Funk Festival featuring Ray Wiley Hubbard and Marsha Ball June 2nd at the Auditorium. Reserve seats on sale this Friday, March 10th at tickets.thundertix.com. This is Ozarks at Large. We lost a friend this week and our part of the world lost an integral source of making life better. Hank Kaminsky. Artist, sculptor, writer, husband, father, died earlier this week. Hank was a gentle person who had the ability to create epic art, either in size, like the World Peace Fountain you can find in front of the Fayetteville Town Center, or some of the most recent pieces he created that could be held in your hand. He told us about those pieces at his studio in the summer of 2021 when he was beginning to create art again after a four-year break. This creation coming after the encouragement from his wife, Joanne. Joanne, who is the salvation of us all, 
um, said, Hank, if you get down to the studio and just do anything that's creative, then it'll bring you back to life. He took the advice and found a bag of unclaimed terracotta clay in his studio. Then, a couple of basic steps. He made a slab from the clay and then placed more clay on that slab to create a relief. What happened next was something he says he's been thinking about since at least 1968. The theory is you put a piece of clay down and you look at it, stand back and look at it. And then you take another piece of clay and put it down near it or far from it. And you create a space, you create an image. And it's easy from there on to just keep adding clay. The images that developed from this process were stunning, abstract images that he says allowed artists and audience to work together to determine what the eventual shapes meant for each of us. And Kaminsky didn't create art without thinking about the people, a few, maybe dozens or tens of thousands or more, who would look at it and what they might experience. He wanted to make any wall, room, or public space a better place. In 2018, our former Ozarks at Large reporter Zuzanna Sytek profiled Hank when the Arkansas Arts Council named him a living treasure. He told her why he loved his adopted home so much. And when I got here, I said, no, that isn't the right thing. People here want some way to connect with artists and with their world through things that they can use, through things that are important to them. And uh, the first thing I did was make a belt buckle. And Kaminsky says he's been making jewelry ever since. He's lived in Arkansas ever since, too. The simplest way to put it is I felt at home. Uh, I was immediately attracted by, by the, the place and by the people. And I had an opportunity to create a community or participate in the creation of a community uh, that was meaningful to me. Our first Ozarks at Large visit with Hank Kaminsky was in 2001, when he invited me to his studio to look at the then-in-progress World Peace Fountain. He reflected on the necessary bureaucratic elements required to have public art approved, created, and displayed. Many artists think of themselves as, as um, serving their own inner needs, their own devotional activities. Art is a devotional activity for an artist. <clears throat> but as a member of the community, and with my particular um, bent on this, the name of my building, the name of my studio is The Village Sculptor, I feel that the artist is a part of the community, and those kinds of hassles are also a part of community life. So, uh, yeah, it's frustrating, but uh, it, it was not out of bounds in terms of the way that I positioned myself in the community. Hank took the role of art seriously and the messages art can convey seriously. Whether creating a series acknowledging where you are at any moment is sacred or inscribing the World Peace Fountain with the message, May Peace Prevail on Earth, in dozens of languages. I could say the idea is God. And every place on the surface of that sphere faces God, faces the center. So if there are little ripples, those little ripples don't face the center. And our first task was to take tools and scrape over the clay in such a way that every place on that surface faced the center. Everything is answerable to a one single idea, and that idea is the center. And you can call it what you will. I call it God. Hank could also just revel with joy. This, again, from our last visit with him in 2021, when he was explaining how images emerged in clay 
for him. Do you, when, when they begin to emerge, yeah. do you say something out loud? I mean, I, I can only imagine when you figured out, I go back to Natalie with the flute. If that happened to me in a creative process, I'd kind of laugh. Like, oh, of course that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll show you the one piece and, and then tell you, and then sing to you what happened when I, when I saw it. This is the first piece I did, and I always started at the head. I put a, I don't know why, I put a lump of clay down there, and then stepped back and saw the rest of it. It was blank. And I went, yeah, wow. I mean, there you go. When the World Peace Fountain was installed at the town center, it was a major event with heavy equipment needed. It's a monumental work, that has quietly become an iconic part of the heart of Fayetteville. And that's Hank, too. He was a monumental figure who quietly became an iconic part of his community. Thanks for everything, Hank. This is 91.3 FM, KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Western Grove. Timothy produced today's program inside the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio. And contributors today included Matthew Moore, Josie Lenora, Leah Uribe, and Paul Gatling. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich provided us with the sound and information regarding both short-term rental legislation and the observation of Mount Sequoia's centennial. Additional material and assistance today provided by Stephanie Brock and the hardworking news team at KUAR Public Radio for Central Arkansas and Little Rock. Our webpage is assembled by Anna Pope. All right, Timothy. Mm -hmm. um, You gave us a rundown of live music earlier today. And I know I've mentioned this a few times over the past few weeks, but we are going to start having outdoor music. Yeah, and really I'm soon. really looking forward to it. Do you see Wu-Tang Clan has been announced for a show in Bentonville? No. Yep. Where I'm guessing the momentary? I think or? that's – I saw it on – I'm bringing something up that I don't know all the answers to, but I saw it on, <laughs> on social media, yeah. Well, that show is going to sell, sell out in like five minutes. I would think so. So, yeah, we are just now beginning to get into the really yeah big music scene. Which I'm all for. I mean – in my opinion, there's nothing better than seeing some live music on a patio with a nice cold beer in your hand. Speaking of music, didn't you have a band in here recently that we I, haven't heard yet on the show? I did. Uh, we've heard the band before. Yeah. Uh, it's the band Good Looks out of Austin. Uh, they were passing through right. on their way back home after playing a film festival in Columbia, Missouri. So that's going to be on in the next few weeks? Yeah, in the next few weeks or so. All right. Uh, and you can catch us again tomorrow at noon and 7 from the Carver Center. For Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Timothy Dennis. Thank you for your continued attention and support of KUAF and Ozarks at Large. Until next time. Please be well.